Anybody who's in my community knows the place that my friends hold in my life is so high. Mm. And I just think when I'm at the end of my life and I look back on it and try to pluck out the the true highlights, um, my relationships with my friends will be literally in the top two. Welcome to Kelly Corrigan Wonders. I'm Kelly Corrigan, and today I'm wondering about adult friendships, the very old friends who knew us growing up, our college buddies, the parents we watched soccer or baseball with, the ones from work, book club, or that marathon we trained for. Today is the second of a four-part series with writer, activist, and community leader Jen Hatmaker, a friend who helps me think about what makes friendship work and not work and strain at the seams. We'll be right back with Kelly Corrigan Wonders. Hey, everybody. If you love listening to true stories from people all around the world, then we have the perfect recommendation for you, the Moth Podcast. Each episode features people from Moth events around the globe, sharing diverse and honest stories of love, resilience, change, heartbreak, chance encounters, unbelievable calamities, and everything in between. Episodes drop weekly. Find The Moth Podcast on Spotify, Apple, Amazon Music, or wherever you listen to podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're driving, cleaning, and even exercising. But what if you could be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Multitask right now. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates' national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. I'm Kelly Corrigan. Welcome back to Kelly Corrigan Wonders. Today, I'm talking with Jen Hatmaker. She's an author, community organizer, a volunteer who rallies her enormous community of followers to rise up and take charge. She's also a newly single mother of five who relies heavily on a network of sisters and girlfriends to make her life work. She's wise and honest and always evolving toward a clearer picture of what is and what could be. Here's my conversation with Jen Hatmaker. Hey, Jen Hatmaker, welcome back. Hi, we could probably do this every day of our lives. I know, I'm, I'm totally up for it if you are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We have nothing else going on. <laughs> right. right, we should be able to squeeze that in. Mm-hmm. Um, so this week I wanted to talk about friendship. And okay. I, I feel like it's kind of an under-discussed topic. And I do too. I think there's a lot of angles on it. Like I think that there can be a lot of pain. I think there can be an mm. incredible amount of beauty so I yeah. remember like loving every page of Truth and Beauty, which is that great Aunt Patchett book about her friend Lucy mm. who died, who had the terrible, I think it was jaw cancer. Yeah. Um, and then of course I've written so much about my friend Liz, yeah, who also had cancer and died. But I I also remember reading some books over the years that talk about like the trauma involved in mm. friendship or the disappointments involved in friendship. And, you know, I'm the mother of two teenage or two girls who are 
making their new friends in college. And of course that Mm -hmm. involves so much. um, I don't know, like the dance of intimacy a little bit, you know, like how much am I going to show you? How much am I going to tell you? How much am I going to try to rise up to you? I remember Mm -hmm. saying to Claire, are you psyched for the holidays? And she said, I'm so psyched because I'm tired of accommodating people. Oh, bless her. And I was like, wow, man, that is really Mm. true. I was just before we got on um, talking to a friend of mine about uh, what we're about to to discuss. And I was telling him that uh, on its face, it sounds like maybe a trite topic. I'm going to talk to my friend Kelly about friendship, but it's not (laughs) trite. Like, it's not. I've noticed in my community, and I bet you would say the same in yours, that a healthy connected adult friendships, particularly between women is a real pain point in my community. Um, because we're older and friendships have shifted and we have changed. And a friend that was a friend sometimes 15 years ago, doesn't have a tidy space in the life we have now and, or our lives have changed. We've moved and making new friends at our age can be really challenging. And so I don't, I don't think it's as trite as it might sound. I, I actually think this is, as you mentioned, kind of an overlooked conversation that actually has a lot of pain inside of it. Well, and also it's a really dangerous thing to be lonely. Like that, you know, Vivek mm. Murphy, the yeah. Surgeon General came out with that book about loneliness. And, That's and there's right. all kinds of incredible statistics about how loneliness is actually more dangerous than smoking. I put that in a book. It was so shocking. Yeah. I quoted him just, he said it was more dangerous than if you were uh, smoking and obese and had a history of heart disease together. Yeah. So yikes. And you know what? I'll just come clean and say that I am a little bit lonely for the first time in a long time. Uh, we moved after 29 yeah, years, talk about change. And we, you know, I, I know a lot of people in New York and Brooklyn, mm. but it's much bigger than I realized. And then you layer yeah. on Omicron. And Gosh, whatever so might true. come next. And it feels somewhat difficult to say to somebody, hey, you want to take a subway mm. for 40 minutes to Gosh. have a, a drink and some tacos with me, even though you don't really I mean, know me that well. And maybe I've been fraternizing with people who are ill mm. or feverish. Like it's just real, it feels really blocked for me right now. And it's, so I'm mm. very poignantly aware of what I left behind. And I left behind a couple of friends who I was four minutes away from, who I did Mm. not have to tell them I was coming over, whose back doors Mm -hmm. were always open, Mm -hmm. who I could do nothing with. Like I love now, right now, because it's all so new, you know, Mm. again, and I made it new. So I'm not complaining. I was ready for this, but it's not that fun all the same. Mm. it's like you have to come up with something good enough for it. It's like a first date where it's like, you know. Absolutely. You're kind of like, I really liked her. Like, did she like me? You know, or know. is it is it too soon to text her? Is it, like, yes. is it too soon? Should I give it a day? Yes. Just, it's got all these weird sort of relational rhythms kind of baked in and rules. And um, because I think what you and I know, I'm 47. How old are you? You're just a couple years older than me. Just a couple. Let's just leave it at that, yeah, Jen. That's fine. Um, but we now know at our age that really like those precious friends that are in every nook and cranny, the ones who need no anything, no invitation, no permission, no entertaining. They, they can be pretty rare. So yes, I think we probably it, treasure them and miss them when we don't have them. Yeah. And it, it, it like friendship doesn't, 
bloom overnight. It just doesn't. Mm. You, you need like 25 interactions. Like I always feel like this, <sighs> this so real. huge milestone in any friendship is when you meet the person's parents. Yeah, it's and like now dating I'm, again. Yeah, yeah, but it is. It's uh-huh. like some sense of like your people and where you're from. Yeah. And then, you know, I remember going to see my friend Betsy's house that she grew up in in Darien and like, oh, there's Beth's <laughs> high school in Lake Oswego. And, you know, like that, it just changes your understanding yeah. of a person. And then another thing that, really helps open up a person is their children. Yeah, that's right too. they have kids. And now, you know, if I'm an empty nester, Mm. I'm talking to other empty nesters, that's just like a black box. Totally. And it's so, it's like so central to most people's lives. I had not thought about that. Like I've had the same friends for so long, but we forged our friendships in the like fires of early childhood. We were raising kids together. We were like, can I come over? Do you have any, like, I have half a bag of carrots. You have some leftover grapes. Like I have some peanut butter. You know, can we just, can they take a bath at your house? Can they nap? Um, And so those connective ties were really strong. And also kind of this, just this central energy that we wrapped ourselves around. Mm -hmm. You gave yourself a triple punch here between new city, pandemic, and new stage of life. Like you are in a sea of change right now, which makes new friendships hard. Like really hard. I I made this new friend in Montana named Martha. And every time she, every time she emails, I'm like, could we make plans for like the next three weekends? Like, do we, do we just, (laughs) it would just soothe my little heart if I knew I was going to see you on a more regular basis. Every time I email her, I'm like, I think she likes me. She likes me. She does. I mean, she totally likes me. Like she, she said that one thing, you know, like. I mean, it's like amazing that you could it's feel so insecure, but of course mm. you do because people have their lives and their rhythms. And then you're this that's new right. element that's like, Hey, mm. don't forget about me. How did you make a new friend in Montana? From a friend of a friend. I, uh, uh-huh. And this goes to like a tenant of friendship that everybody knows, but you can never hear too much, which is you got to reveal something if you want to start having a real oh, yeah. friendship. And so I told this friend of mine, Liz and Dache, you know, I'm a little mm. lonely. And she was like, I know mm. two people in Montana that you should meet. And then she would just write on it. Like as soon as I coughed it <sighs> up, then she was right there for me. And so, you know. Literally like a matchmaker. Exactly. So you just started texting each other? Like, hey, I'm Kelly. I wrote her an email and I was like, hey, I'm uh-huh. new to town. And Liz said that we would really like each other. That's and so do cute. you want to go for a walk? And then we were going for a walk and we were walking around this thing and I was really in a funny mood, like a super loose and, and unguarded. Mm. And I don't know mm-hmm. if I was trying to rush us along or what, but I, I, I felt like I was like exposing everything all at once so that it was like, here, here's <laughs> I who I am. This is my deal. Right. If you like me, great. If you don't like, <laughs> I got to keep moving here. Cause I'm like desperate to find somebody uh. to drink mezcal and do puzzles with. And so Anyway, then at the end of our walk, she was like, well, I was thinking about getting sushi. And I was like, oh, I'll get sushi. You want to get sushi? <laughs> it's so cute. It's such a I love it. So, you're just like so thirsty. Oh like, my God. I love, okay, don't take this the wrong way. I kind of love that this is your experience right now because you have something new to say about it. You know, you lived in California for 29 years. That is a whole adult life. So yeah, for sure. your, your relationships are baked in, your sort of social rhythms are pretty much baked in at that point. You've done like the couple friend thing that is its own category. Yes. Like you now have some new insight on being a grown up lady who's got to rethink all this in a new place and in a new way, which 
It's just going to be interesting to watch you navigate this. And I'm not at all surprised to hear that you just went hard. That you like absolutely went like all in Uh hard. Like, Uh hey, first of all, let me tell you, I'm a breast cancer survivor. I lost my dad. I can literally hear you rattling off your your things. You must have had a couple friends that got all weird and squirrely when you guys got divorced. Oh, that's a weird thing. That is that is a whole thing that I didn't even know to talk about until it happened to me, kind of like you right now in this new space, Mm. which was, I mean, after 26 years of marriage the couple friend thing was locked and loaded. Um, and so we all just sort of scrambled around for a minute trying to sort that out. Like, do I mean, we- is there side picking and all that kind of crap? <sighs> yeah. Like you don't want there to be. And I think at the beginning, we were like, how can we hold this fractured thing together? Mm-hmm. Um, and everybody tried their best. Everybody was, but also our circumstances were wild. And so I think ultimately you kind of get some friends in the divorce and the other one gets some others, mm-hmm. um, kind of like we should, we, we have split custody. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's, so now I find myself, I, I have the majority of our couple friends still like fully embedded in my life. And so all my social things right now, Kelly are like all the marrieds plus Jen. And like, is that fine just, for you or does it bug you or? Yeah. No, it's fine because we've been friends for so long. So at this point, we're well beyond like anything ever being awkward or, um, and and then they're mean about it too. They're like mean, funny. We were in, um, where were we traveling? We were all traveling together somewhere and like a big trip, all of them plus me. Oh, we were in Mexico and we had a table at like a, a great restaurant for dinner and it was like seating for nine. Uh-huh. <laughs> and so Trey, my friend Jenny's husband was like, cause it kind of made for awkward seating. We kind of had to shove a chair in somewhere. And he was like, Jen, this would be so much easier if this was a table for eight. <laughs> like <laughs> you are a real asshole. <laughs> so we found a way to joke our way through it. But yeah, so friendships can really shift in more than one way. The other thing I miss so much in the pandemic And really, you know, as a writer and a person who's sort of out here on my own doing all these crazy projects, I miss work friends. I miss, I really miss Mm. the very funny, unusual relationships Mm. that you can have with these people that are contained in the office. Mm -hmm. I I just love that. I love how much variety there is in those relationships where it's people of different ages, people have come from different places. You know, whereas like my inner circle is mostly 50-year-old women who sort of look like me uh-huh. and have read all the same yeah. books. Yeah, yeah, you know, like, exactly. But, but then you're working with like Weird Bill and there's Harriet. She's <laughs> nuts. And, you know, but I love that. I love the texture yeah. of that. And I'm, God, I miss an office. When, but it's been a minute for you. Like, when's the last time you worked in an office? Well, I mean, I've done so many projects. So sometimes when I'm working on a project, I can do it That's with true. two or three other people around a table. Or, you know, I did this... Uh, charity thing for 10 years with this group of great yeah. women. And we met every Tuesday mm. and it was just like always kind of a kick. Like it it was, mm-hmm. we got our work done and then we started cracking jokes and bitching and moaning. And it was just mm. like a good time. It was a good rhythm. And I like that. I, I like the appreciation you're showing for some of the spaces where friendships can be surprising. 
um, where they're not just the ones we choose or we seek out or the thing that we have in common is so obvious that we're just bound to be friends. Like some of those are the most interesting people that come into our lives. Um, because we tend to self-select based on our own personal itinerary, you know, like I'm the same, like my friends are, we're all the same person. Essentially. We just live in different houses. Um, yeah, we like the same things where our ideologies aligned, we're, we we're yeah, for sure. We could trade closets. So uh, it is valuable when people come into our lives that we would never select or necessarily choose or that our past wouldn't cross in any other way. And yet there they are interesting, quirky, vibrant, making us think new thoughts, making yeah. us laugh. Yeah. I love those. Yeah. The other thing that's been nice about the kids going to college is that that has reconnected me to a bunch of people. Oh, like, tell me more about that. Like, I got that phrase from you. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> so Tracy Tattle, my college roommate, who I traveled with for a year mm-hmm. and who's like, mm-hmm. you know, like a sister to me, she lives in right near Georgetown and George is a Georgetown. Oh, so that's been a yeah. super fun surprise mm. thing where I'm seeing her, you know, two, three, four times a year. And the adult, more adult version of Georgia is getting to know Tut Tut yeah. and that's fun for them and they have their own vibe. So true. Um, and then I think next year, I think three or four of my friends have kids going to Virginia next year, which is where Claire is. Uh, it's so great. I love that because then you get to, you get to plug back into a system that has some muscle memory, but you plug back in as the, the you right now. And then you automatically have this shared life experience. Our kids are in college. We're the people who have kids in college. Um, you know, like that's a category. So you get to like both pull from your own history and also make new history. Like those are some of the best. Yeah. You're not exactly starting from scratch. Yeah. But But also it's so cool to, if you can remind yourself to let them reintroduce themselves and let them be different mm. than how you remembered them. Well, I'm laughing when I think about you plugging back into college relationships because you were a wildcat. So like, <laughs> now you're like, you work for PBS for God's sakes, like <laughs> people change. So <laughs> I know, I think that uh, sometimes when great. I see those outer, like the guys, you know, I ran into this guy, Pat Sanderson from Richmond, who, I mean, I partied at his fraternity a whole, uh-huh. whole bunch in college. And mm-hmm. I saw him at Parents Weekend at UVA and I thought, Oh God, this must be such cognitive dissonance for you. You must be like, who are you trying to kid with like this public media bullshit that you're trying to pull off? Like, oh my gosh. I saw you. I know you. (laughs) I picked you up off the ground, you sloppy thing. They'll pull you back to when you were 19. That's right. That's right. Um, So my reading, I'll go first if you want today. Okay. um, Is actually about Tracy Tuttle. And it's from Tell Me More. Uh-huh. And it's, I feel like I know Tracy. Yeah. I, I think a lot uh-huh. of people feel like they know Tracy. Yep. It's kind of awesome. She, she, interestingly, she had this business for, I don't know, 20, 30 years with her mom. And then she uh-huh. sold it and she went back to school to be a therapist and she finished her degree. And now she has 15 patients that she sees every single week. And uh-huh. she was born to do it. She's like one of the world's great listeners, super compassionate, totally non judgmental, and like a very conscientious student. So anyway, this is about me learning from her as I've done so often. And um, I was flying to DC where she lives to go to our Richmond reunion. I had just landed at Dulles. Tracy Tuttle, my freshman year roommate, picked me up. 
Though she often says she's 5'11", Tracy is six feet tall. And thanks to her <laughs> jackrabbit metabolism, lean as Twiggy. She used to say, when we when I first got to school, she was my assigned freshman year roommate. And we had this huge long day. And all day long, people say, wow, you're so tall. How tall are you? And she'd say, 5'11", 5'11". And then we were going to sleep. And she was on the top bunk. And I was on the bottom bunk. And she's like, hey, I wanted to tell you something. And I was like, yeah. And she's like, I'm actually six feet tall. That's like, <laughs> so great. Wow. Like, you <laughs> like don't, true confessions. Yeah, you don't want to lie to me. That's amazing. <laughs> I um, love it. Thanks to her jackrabbit metabolism, lean as Twiggy. She has a great laugh and loves parties, music, and late night diner food. We initially fell into step with each other because we smoked the same cigarettes and watched the same soap operas, ABC, all the way. By the end of orientation week, although we shared not a single physical feature, Tracy and I were so often together, people started calling both of us Trelly rather than try to work out who was who. I threw my roller bag into the back of her minivan and settled in for the two-hour ride to campus where we would be reminded of inane drinking games, a band called the White Animals that we worshipped to the point of tears. And thanks to a run-in with the five-year reunion kids who invited us to play beer pong and thought we were adorable, our age Traffic-wise, the area around Dulles is a bitch. Two hours would become four, but we had a full conversational agenda. Tracy was selling her real estate business after 20 years. We had both just seen Birdman, so there was that to untangle, and we were mothers. If we used to talk into the night, parsing the subtleties of our interactions with the brothers of Lambda Chi, we could talk family dynamics till morning now. She said she and Tom, her husband, had been arguing lately about when to let your kids start figuring things out on their own. He's so into them being independent and solving their own problems. Tracy wanted to agree. Backing off sounded so good. But it's impossible. It's like watching them do a puzzle and they're getting so frustrated and you can see the piece they need. It's right there. I mean, seriously, how long can you go before you hand it to them? even though it makes them feel stupid, even though it takes away all the fun of finishing something on your own. I admitted that I can't watch the girls climb a tree without telling them where to put their foot next. I can sit on my hands for about eight seconds. When they tell me about a problem, which is rare and getting rarer, I can think of five things they should do before they finish their first sentence. Right, Tracy said, but then there's that whole weird thing where like half the time it's not even about what they say it's about. So your advice is totally wrong because you don't even understand what the real problem is or what they're asking for. Yep. Lately, Tracy went on, I've been trying to get them to just keep talking, to tell me more and more, Tracy said. I say, what else? Go on. Is that all? And while they're talking, I try really hard not to jump in or cut them off. Like recently, Billy had this coach. And to God, before she could get into the story, Georgia called bawling. Fairly early on, Edward and I had it in our heads that Georgia was the picture of confidence, confident to the point of being argumentative. And in certain circles, she was, for example, in the circle that is our family. With us, she was a vocal and often victorious self-advocate. We'd seen none of the classic indicators of trouble, eating, sleeping, homework, like a champ. But at school, in a circle of sixth grade girls, there she was getting bounced around and she didn't like it. So combine my outdated rap on her, kiln dried, when her preschool teacher referred to her as fierce, with my total lack of access to her school self, and you'll understand why I thought it was a wrong number when I heard an 11-year-old blubbering into my phone. Mommy, 
Mommy, I hate sixth grade. It's not fair. And everyone just lies. I have to come clean here. Something terrible happens to me when my girls cry, more so now than when they were infants and I was able to remind myself that crying was their only method of communication. I didn't like it back then, who does, but aided by what Edward dubbed a red lobster pour of icy cold Sauvignon Blanc, (laughs) each evening at five, I managed. Now, crying that indicates existential pain, the possible onslaught of unhappiness, isolation, despair, That kind of crying is more threatening to me than a lump in my breast. It's like being skinned alive. With Tracy beside me, I put Georgia on speaker. Everyone's turning on me because they say I was mean to Piper, but I wasn't mean to Piper. Mm. You must have said something I wanted to say. Her school's most recent life skills newsletter emphasized personal responsibility. Maybe if I could get her to see her own error, we'd be one step closer to resolution. But Tracy whispered, Let her get it out. Tell me what happened, I said. I didn't say anything, even though Piper has been really mean to me like 10 times. Tracy looked at me with raised eyebrows. Just say it back to her, she mouthed. So everyone's mad at you about being mean to Piper, but you weren't. Right, Georgia said, and she was mean to me. Tracy nodded. Do it again. Piper was mean to you, and you're getting blamed for being mean to her. Yes. Tracy circled her hand in that unmistakable go-on motion, and so I said, what else? Remember at Christmas when Jackie was mean to Emma? I told her I did, though I did not and could not at that moment picture an Emma. Nobody got (laughs) mad. (laughs) Nobody got mad at Jackie. Cyrano de Bergerac fed me another line. So no one was mad at Jackie. No one. (laughs) How would Edward handle this, I wondered. Not by wallowing in it, I was sure. Standard course of action was to stifle the drama with a there, there, you'll be fine, and then start handing out gum. Tracy said softly, that must feel so unfair. Which brought to mind my friend Paul, who told me once at cocktail parties, whenever someone tells him what they do for work, he says, that must be really hard. And every time, no matter what they do, they say, oh, it is. (laughs) He started doing it because he's shy and needs the other person to do the talking, but he kept doing it as a public service. Everyone loves Paul. They can't say exactly why, but I think I can. That must feel so unfair, I said to Georgia. It does. I assumed we had exhausted the facts, but I wanted Tracy to see that I was getting it. So I asked, is there more? Georgia practically came through the phone Everyone is protecting Piper, but when I need protection, there's nobody. Why isn't anyone standing up for me? That must be awful and confusing. Like, why am I being treated one way and Piper another? Exactly, she said, her voice newly steady. Hitting her blinker, Tracy smiled. I had to admit, asking for more and listening was a thousand times easier than coming up with consoling thoughts and next steps. Wait, Mommy, where are you right now? Are you in Richmond already? Not yet. Another hour or so. I opened a can of Pringles. Oh, that's good. Well, I have to go. Have fun with Tracy Tut-Tut, she said before hanging up. That was kind of incredible, I said, holding out the chips for Tracy. You know you're doing it right when you hear the word exactly, Tracy said. Now the trick is doing it every time, which must not be so easy since otherwise all therapists' kids would be perfect. 
<laughs> right. Uh, it's so good. I love that essay. I mean, she's just so wise and she's so patient yeah. and she's so, um, she has so much faith in, in yeah. what she knows to be true. You know, like she's kind oh, of unyielding. Gosh. She doesn't crack when it starts to actually go down. Like she, she really mm. pulls the levers that she knows are, are wired to the right thing. Uh, her, of course, sage advice, which I literally just used on you a minute ago, um, is it rubs so hard against my instincts. So hard. Mm. Um, I'm a fixer like you and, and I'm, I'm smart at fixing. I'm so good (laughs) at it. And if everybody would listen to me, but you know, I've been in like really serious therapy for the last year and a half, just working through all of it. And, um, part of it has been my kids suffering, Mm. which like me, okay, I can handle this. My kids suffering. I just, just put me under, you know, I just thought this is too much. I can't, this hurts too much and, um, I can't fix it and I can't get it right. I kept telling my therapist, I can't get this part right. I can't, um, Mm. I can't parent right. I can't because it's still here. (laughs) Like, I just felt like if I was, I must be missing the formula Mm. or else everybody would be better by now. Do you have a friend who would say to you, Jen, like who would be able to break that spell for you and like take you by the shoulders and say, Jen Hatmaker, Stop it. Like, this is going to take time. I do. And it tends to be people who've gone slightly ahead of me in a similar lane. Yes, yes, Um, yes. And my... And my therapist handed me a metric that I now get to, like, fall back on, which has helped me because I just wanted to... I wanted to solve the problem. And she was just like, oh, the problem is this isn't a solvable thing. It's not fixable. It's not in your power. So she's like, your problem is your perspective. She said, um, sad is not bad. Mm. Mad is not bad. Hard is not bad. And so she taught me how to just um, sit down next to sad, bad, hard and just say, yes, it is. I feel the same way. And literally the best we can do right now is just to be like, we're in this together. Right. Um, And that took a Herculean effort to just let that be the period at the end of the sentence where I didn't even then come in, but also these three things might help, (laughs) you know? Right. It's interesting to talk about therapy in the context of friendship because I've heard said many times, like, I don't really need a therapist. I need um, just great friends. Like my friends and I talk about stuff all the time. Do you Mm. feel like there's a special and important and unique role for a therapist that even Mm. though you have deep friendships where you feel Mm. free to talk openly, that Mm. it wouldn't have sufficed? That's a great question because I also know the absolute power of the friends that are like sisters, how they come around you in crisis or in tragedy and and what they have to offer you in that moment is so special and unique to what they can do. My friends kept me breathing um, last year, but in my experience, my therapist got to a portion of my, not just my psyche, but my patterns that she had the expertise to reach. Like I consider myself Mm self-aware. But the the ways in which she was able professionally 
psychologically to hold a mirror up to me and say, can you see this thing you're saying? Like, can you see this thing you're doing? Or this is a pattern you keep repeating. Or I hear you saying this and what's under it is this was just something that I needed a therapist to do. Like, um, I wanted my friends to rage and drink wine with me and talk and, volunteer to watch trash TV when on the days it got too much and whisk me away for like nights away. And they did that with absolute like gold star behavior, Mm -hmm. but I needed a therapist who wasn't there to be my friend who was there to say, um, some of these things belong to you. This is your, this is yours to work out. And if you don't, you'll just trot it right into the next relationship. And I'm like, first of all, that's mean. And that's not what I pay you to tell me. Like I am paying you to tell me that I am perfect and innocent. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Um, So I, I am a big fan of therapy. I've just seen it make such a difference in people's lives and in relationships and, um, and in my life personally. And so the other thing is something there, there's hardly, I mean, I, I feel like I'm in some pretty deep friendships. I can't really bring someone to mind that I would feel comfortable talking to mm-hmm. for one hour a week, just about me. That's so true. For like a year. Like it, that's just that's not what friendship so is. True. Like there's so much Good more point. give and take. And there are considerations at work. You that's, know, like if you're you, so right. Yeah. So I, I think that probably there is this very distinct yeah. requirement and potential yeah. for therapy that is just, unfortunately, you can't get it for free. Yeah, you do. You've got to pay for that level of a professional undivided attention. Um, and, but then, you know, there's a, there's not a one size fits all in therapy either. Like I've got some friends who will probably see their therapist pretty consistently forever, um, which is just the level of kind of therapeutic care that they need and want um, based on their history and the stuff they're working through. Um, and then there's some who are maybe more like me for whom the majority of my therapy was situational, circumstantial. Mm. I needed it for a season in a really intense way. Not that we can't all benefit from maintenance. Um, but you know, we can, therapy can look however we need it to look. Um, and I know for me, it was a lifeline. Coming up, Jan and I wonder about the roles that different friends play in our lives at different times and what we learn from each. We'll be right back with Kelly Corrigan Wonders. Welcome back to Kelly Corrigan Wonders. I'm Kelly Corrigan, and my guest is mother, author, friend, Jen Hatmaker. Another thing about friendship that's interesting is like who fills what role? Like who do you want to mm. talk about mm-hmm. your marriage with? Who do you want to talk about your kids with? Mm-hmm. Who do you want to talk about your job with? And yeah. I, I feel like I've just recently found like my perfect um, professional women friends where I can really, mm. I, have, I have a lot to offer them and they have so much to teach yeah. me. And I, I didn't know, even know that I was missing that, but it's really, it's really nice to talk to somebody else who is climbing a hill. I'd love to hear you say that. I have that group. Um, I have a group of friends, there's six of us and our, 
our careers are real overlapping. We're very ancillary in our spaces and we, none of us live in the same place and we've been friends for a decade and we do a whole thing on Voxer on the regular, I mean, for 10 solid years. And we get together at least once a year, every year, usually the first week of January. And so that is life-giving when you don't have to explain your weird job because you and I have weird jobs. Yep. And nobody needs an explanation. Everybody understands the pitfalls, the landmines, the stuff we hate, the stuff we love. And you just get to like get after it. I, I, I don't know if I could do without it. I'm, I don't, that, that professional understanding and like friendship is so special. And I, I think of that as my mastermind group, in addition to being genuine friends. I mean, when you really connect with other women, around your careers and your work, a hundred other things slip in the side door. I mean, all of a sudden you're talking about parenting, right? I mean, it just, there's no end, there's no good boundary there at all. Yes. And also, I mean, like I'll never forget my friend, Mary Hope telling me how much money she made. Uh, I mean, complete, I went in the next day. I was like, I need a race. Like I I, have been stupidly underpaid without my consent or understanding for five years. And like, thank God she told me and, and I really love that. explained it. It was like, this is what I make in my compensation. This is what I make in bonuses. This is what I make in stock options. You know, we, I'm covering insurance for our family. Like, so yes. there's those kind of soft payments. And anyway, I was like, wow, like mm. this is essential. And you That's could, so that, you could just call that a metaphor for absolutely anything, you know? Mm. That's a certain level of friendship that's really, really special. And we owe that to each other. I I wish this was more celebrated in the circle of women. I wish we were less hung up on being that gut level honest with one another and making sure that our sisters are getting a fair shake and that we are, um, that we are looking out for each other. I think that women have so historically scrambled for and fought over the only two seats at the table yes. we've been allowed, yes. you know, that we just claw each other to death trying to get one of the seats. And I've never liked that approach. I'm like, what if by God, we just banded together and shoved more seats to the table, you know, that we lift one another up and we pull up um, new voices to the conversation and we elevate one another. And all of a sudden the table looks different because we saw to it. Um, tell me about your reading. Okay. So this is out of fears, free and full of fire, uh, out of a chapter called, I need more connection. Yeah. Kind of going back to some like of those loneliness. <laughs> yeah. It's just, it's those loneliness statistics that you referenced earlier. That it's, it's so catastrophic for our, our minds, our souls, our bodies, and our longevity. Like genuinely we need connection, but it's a hard thing to say. It feels a little embarrassing Um, like humiliating, even like I should have it by now, or everybody else seems to be doing better or why am I the only lonely person? And so I, mine is not that long, but my friends, anybody who's in my community knows that the, the place that my friends hold in my life is so high Mm. and it's, um, I just think when I'm at the end of my life and I look back on it and try to pluck out the the true highlights, like this is really what matters in the course of a life. Um, my relationships with my friends will be literally in the top two. Um, 
and what they've meant to me over the course of, I mean, I've been friends with some of these people for like 23 years. I just wrote like a little tiny story about them and it's not that long, but, and it starts out like this. My two, and now I would add three, this, when I wrote this, my two best girlfriends and I live within 45 seconds of each other. Jenny, Shauna, and I have around 20 million shared memories. As I type this paragraph, we are at the lake together. I don't know if you remember, I used to have a lake house. We are at the lake together and I'm upstairs writing while they are downstairs painting the walls after organizing my closets. We made a sunset happy hour date for 5.30 on the deck because I always feel like I need a prize for doing my job. Like, where is my gold star for doing the normal work I am paid to do? Oh my God, thank you. (laughs) That's the Enneagram three. We have traveled the world together on points and miles and rewards, employing a very, very tacky tradition. In every place we visit, we buy matching sweatshirts with that city's name on it. Oh my God. Now, good people of style, I do not mean trendy sweatshirts that look cute over leggings or paired with skinny jeans. We hunt for the ugliest, most ill-fitting, obnoxious (laughs) sweatshirts we can find. We prefer to buy them in a gas station or from some sketchy street vendor. They must absolutely scream tourists. We like to get them three sizes too big since they will shrink in half upon washing like $5.99 sweatshirts do. Although not required, it delights us if either the font or the entire thing is somewhere between loud and fluorescent. We will not purchase if there is not one for each of us, for they must be matching or what is even the point of traveling. Then, and this part is crucial, we wear them while still in that city, all three of us. Our husbands love this, except the opposite of that. Our crown jewel was getting our names screen printed in Greek while in Athens, which we then wore on our bike tour. We do this, it's so absurd to read that loud. We're such idiots. Okay. We do this unironically and with no shame. The rule is we shall not explain ourselves. No side wink to our waiter. No, we're just being silly comments to our guide. No explanation of our matching double extra large coral sweatshirts that say, I love San Francisco while at dinner in the Bay Area. Oh, come on. I know, I know. There's your little (laughs) nod. We stand by our fashion choices with great dignity, like three gaudy Queen Elizabeths. Our friend Amy (laughs) traveled with us to Seattle once. And months later, while organizing our church's garage sale, Jenny found the matching fire engine red sweatshirt we forced her to purchase in one of the boxes, marched over to her with the orphaned souvenir in hand, and in a low, terrifying voice said, explain yourself. (laughs) (laughs) The sweatshirts are forever. I don't know why I even have to explain this. They are a package deal with this sisterhood forged through a thousand fires, a million conversations, and a billion shared laughs. I credit my girlfriends for the deep sense of belonging that has sustained me through an unexpected public life. Although hyperbole is my medium, with absolutely no exaggeration, I cannot imagine my life without them. I have no vision for it, no imaginable existence. A connected life drunk with rich relationships is central to my soul theology. I hold so many elements of my life loosely. My career and platform matter enormously, and I aim to offer the truest, best work I'm capable of. But if it went away or shifted, I'd adjust my sales. However, if all I was left holding were relationships with my family and closest community, if that is all that remained, I would still consider myself the luckiest girl on earth. 
My life derives its greatest meaning, its power and energy from the people I love who love me too. It's almost like the most revealing thing about us, like who we love and who loves us. Mm. Yeah, you're right. Like it just screams your values out loud. This is what I love. It really does. Yeah. There, that's so true because there is what we say and you and I say a lot of things. We have a lot of convictions. We care about things that matter. Um, we say plenty of things, but like, who do we love mm-hmm. and who loves mm-hmm. us? Like that's, that's, that's show me the money yeah. right there. I love you and I love talking to you and I love working with you and I love learning from you and, and I love seeing you. And now I'm coming up to your neck of the woods here in a couple of weeks. And I literally insist, I insist on some time. Fantastic. Fantastic. Okay. So here's our closing poem from Kate Bear. It's called Girls Night Out. How mm. perfect is that? Okay. In restaurants, in restaurants, we argue over who will pay, even though the real question is who will confess their children are dull or their marriage has holes at the knees. We order French fries, salads, and brie hold wine to our lips, pull truth from our bags that we kept all along. She wonders, do you remember when I cried in the cab, wore that shirt with the sleeves, left him alone in the rain? We do. We do. Oh, that gave me goosebumps. That's Kate Bear. Jen, will you come back next week? Can I? Yes. I would love to. I can't wait. See you then. All right. Okay. Bye. Bye. Here are my takeaways from my conversation with Jen Hatmaker. Number one, making new friends, coming up with the next thing to do, deciding how often to text, meeting each other's families is remarkably similar to dating. Two, if you want to move things along, you're going to have to cough up something true and possibly uncomfortable. Connection, in the end, is a weave of vulnerabilities. Number three, don't be afraid to third wheel your married friends. Even if they haze you, they want you at the table. Number four, the pandemic has stolen most of our work friends. All those micro interactions with Weird Bill and Crazy Harriet are good for us and must be restored. Number five, friendships can be put on pause and reignited. The fit might not be as tidy when we loop back to each other, but those areas of tension might just be the thing that grows us. Number six, talk less, fix less. The gift is listening, and the script is, tell me more, go on, what else? Number seven, maybe rather than resisting or dismissing the sad, the bad, and the hard, the move is to sidle up and sit next to the feeler of big feelings. Number eight, friends and therapists are probably not interchangeable. Number nine, when you see a gaggle of women in ill-fitting, noxious sweatshirts, you might just be witnessing decades of true love. And number 10, in honor of Women's History Month, a question, what if we just banded together and shoved more seats to the table? We pull up new voices to the conversation and all of a sudden the table looks different because we saw to it. I want to thank Jen Hatmaker and the team at Kelly Corrigan Wonders. That's technical producer Dean Kateri, producer Tammy Stedman, interns Maddie Mail and Cece Clark, and the editor of today's episode, Margaret Faust. 
I also want to thank you guys for listening, for subscribing, for sharing. We read every rating and review. So thanks for taking the time. You can share feedback anytime with us at Show at gmail.com. We'll be back on Friday with another For the Good of the Order and on Sunday for a new episode of Thanks for Being Here. Hey, I have a quick favor to ask. We are conducting a survey to get to know you, our audience, better. It won't take long and it's easy to find. Visit survey.prx.org slash Kelly. That's survey.prx.org slash Kelly. Thank you.